All right, welcome to my living room, Lakeview Assembly, and I uh, love you guys. Let me pray real quick before we get started. God, we just ask that you would come and that you would just speak to us. God, that you would just be mighty in our midst. God, we invite you into our living rooms. God, we invite you into to every place, God, where this is being watched, that you would just, uh, that your spirit would just have full reign, God, to do whatever you want to do. And we just thank you, Lord, for being a good, good father that is drawing near to us and that is sustaining us in these times. And God, we give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Good to see everybody this morning. Um, welcome to my living room. Welcome to my house. Um, never had so many house guests at one time, uh, but thank you for tuning in and, and tracking with us. I'm really excited about this message that the Lord has put on my heart. Um, I think it's a prophetic. I think it's something to, to stir us up and to, and to expect bigger and greater things from the Lord. And so I'm, I'm super excited about it. I believe that this season, that what we're storing up in this season, God is going to let out in the next season. I, I feel an urgency in my spirit that is just telling me, and I've, I've said this a hundred times, I'll probably say it a hundred more, that we cannot waste this specific season that we're in, that there's, there's a meaning to this season. It's not meaningless. And, and I believe that as God has, has put us in the secret place, as He's locked away His church, that what we pray and what we ask for in this season is going to result in something supernaturally big when this season is over and we enter into the next season that God has for us. See, sometimes the good things of God or the good gifts of God become distractions for us. And so I think God is kind of pushing away some of the distractions where we would get in the secret place, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, and it's in the secret place, He said, that God will honor and then begin to bless us publicly. So I don't believe the church is being closed in. I believe the church is in the process of being unleashed, but not unleashed uh, before the fact that they have spent time in prayer and begin to ask big things from the Lord. I want you to understand that in this season, God has big blessings, that this is a, a season of preparation that is preparing us for the good and mighty things that God wants to do in our lives. Um, just the other day, my daughter was, was outside and and I was out there moving the trash can back, and as I was moving that trash can back, um, I, I saw that there was an egg, and, and I guess it was left over from Easter, and so it was right under the trash can. I'm just thinking it's one of the plastic eggs that didn't make it into the can, and so I call, I call Kennedy over, and I say, hey, Ken, you know, hey, there's an egg over here, and knew that she would be excited about that because of her childlike expectations and, and how she, she's still hiding eggs. I mean, she hides eggs all year round. She loves that expectation and, and to find something and, and to find a treasure and so and so I come back inside and I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at something and all of a sudden uh, she comes out and puts a dollar bill down right beside me and I'm like what in the world where did that come from I pick up the dollar bill and it's freezing cold and so I'm like this has been somewhere outside something and I said Kenny where'd you get that dollar bill she said it was in that egg that you showed me uh, that was outside underneath the trash can. And so I'm just like, wow, like, like if I would have saw that egg, I would have just thrown it in the garbage can because like if you shake it, 
even though there was a dollar in it, you can't hear anything. Um, but this is a season to where we need to have childlike faith and expect that everything we find could have treasure in it. And so she did the smart thing, opened up the egg, and found that there was a dollar bill inside. And so I want to encourage you in this season that you would enter into the deep things of God, that you would not let this season mount up depression on you, mount up anxiety on you, but that you would turn that anxiety into a prayer unto God, that you would turn those things back unto God as a prayer, that we would let this season create a prayer in your heart, and you would double down and start asking for bigger things than you've ever asked for in every season of your life, because I believe God is speaking to us in this hour, that while we're in the secret place praying big things, everything we ask for in this season comes to pass in the next. So don't waste this season. Explore. Lock yourself away. Get alone with God and press into the deep things of God and allow Him to speak to your heart and to speak to you the things. See, the reason why we did this service here in my living room is you've all heard the statement, uh, go big or go home. Uh, but I believe God spoke to my heart the other day to say, uh, go big while you're at home. That God wants to flip this entire quarantine thing on the enemy and begin to get us prepared to release us back into the world with a fresh vision, fresh faith, and to answer these prayers that he's creating in our heart. I think that's what God is doing. We can't waste this season when God is wanting to turn all these things for our good and his glory. And what I've found is that I think you have, and I have, and, and everybody under the sound of my boy, voice has more faith than you can even think or even could imagine. I want you to just go here with me. The earth spins a thousand miles per hour on its axis. While it's spinning a thousand miles an hour on its axis, it makes an orbit all the way around the sun. And as it's making its orbit, it is going and traveling at, in space, 67,000 miles per hour. So it's spinning 1,000 miles per hour, and it is going uh, 67,000 miles per hour, and it is covering, in one year, almost 600 million miles before it makes its orbit around the sun in almost 365 days. Now, to me... I would think that our prayer would be, God, please keep the earth spinning at a thousand miles per hour. Uh, God, we've got to travel six million miles, uh, 600 million miles as a planet around the sun. Uh, God, please keep us on the right trajectory. Keep us going in orbit. Like, uh, like right, but have you ever heard anybody pray and say, God, thank you for allowing us another complete rotation today in this twin, right? But God in his power, it says in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it says that the the powerful words of God are sustaining every single thing, that he is the exact imprint and image and radiance of the glory of God, and everything is held together and is sustained by his powerful words. And so if we think about that, like God is doing big things, keeping us alive and sustaining us all the time. So it's not the big things that we need help or faith.
faith for because we trust that those things are going to go on each and every day. What we need faith for is the little things and to see that the things that we think are big are actually small things in comparison to the power and the capability of God. See, that's what God is calling us into. He's calling us to ask big, to, to ask, to seek, and to knock. When we read in Scripture, when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you're going to find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. Um, those words in the Greek verb tense are, are in present imperatives, which mean uh, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking continually. And as you keep pursuing, as you keep going deeper into the asks, into the seeks, and into the knocks, that God will begin to unfold more and more and more and more as you begin to pursue Him. I want to point your attention to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. And this is one of the very big asks in Scripture. I mean, this is Solomon is really asking really big here, and it, and it touches God's heart in such a way. I, I want to reveal this and show this to you if you'd track with me. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go, or come, how to go out or to come in. Verse 8, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many, to be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Now watch this in verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. See, what Solomon is asking here at its root and at its base is he's asking for wisdom. He understands that, as it says in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, here's what Solomon's asking and what he's coming to the understanding for. If he doesn't initially engage God in relationship and make him the first consideration of every single thing that he is a part of and that he is going to do, then he will fail to have the right wisdom, in other words, to make the right decisions in each and every responsibility that he is entering into. 
he's, he's coming to this understanding of an exchange that he's going to have to have from God. He's coming into the understanding, number one, that wisdom begins and ends with God. Jesus Christ is called the Lagos. He's called the word or the divine wisdom, the, the imprint, the exact nature of God, of who he has become flesh. Solomon is coming to the understanding that he is going to have to engage with God if he is going to get wisdom. Why? Because God is the creator and the foundation of everything that would be wisdom. Now we get hung up on this word fear here, right? Like, like the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The, the Proverbs even says that wisdom is better than gold. In other words, if you're not wise, it don't matter what you have, you'll never be able to sustain it. But there's, there's really three different words that break down for the word of fear in the Bible. It can mean terror that one feels in a really frightening situation. It can mean respect in the way that you might respect your boss or you might respect those in authority. But it can also mean, like in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, a reverence or a, or a fear or, or this kind of healthy uh, understanding that you're coming into the presence of something great, of something holy. So the fear of the Lord is kind of this combination of all these things, is that it's this terrifying yet respect, yet I'm entering into something great all at the same time time and that as I'm entering into that thing in that posture of that respect mode that when I'm entering into that place the wisdom of God is enabling me and is empowering me to ask for the right things and to empower me to know how to navigate whatever season I might be going through in my life. In other words, the fear of the Lord can be defined as this, the continual awareness that our loving Heavenly Father is a watching and evaluating everything I do. In other words, it's not like a security camera or this, this figure that's looking to hit you over the head every time you mess up. It's that God has so condescended among us that He's willing to be involved in every single area of our life, that there's nowhere we can go to hide from Him. And when we make Him the first consideration of everything that we do, when we're not making decisions based on our own intellect, or we're not making decisions based on this or that, or, but when we say, God, and we humble ourselves and we enter into that fear mode of respect, of, of going into His presence and understanding how great He is, that when we enter into that place, there's an exchange that happens that so pleases the Lord that it leads him to be moved at such a level in his heart that he wants to do great and mighty things in your life while you're asking him to do them. It's like he's saying in a sense, because you sought wisdom, which means you want to have relationship with me because you so respect me that you understand I'm the one that has it. Not only am I going to answer this prayer, I'm going to answer prayers that you've never even prayed because the prayer you prayed is the prayer that was 100% the right prayer. So we enter into this supernatural wisdom when we begin to go into the secret place with God and have communion and exchange in relationship with Him. 
I submit to you today that, that if you have a relationship where somebody doesn't respect you, they're not listening to anything that you say, and you're probably not listening to anything that they say. It's more of an acquaintance that the base or the undergirding of any relationship is a mutual respect so that you understand the exchange, that their words would be valuable to you and a mutual respect would mean that your words would be valuable to them. And that's what God comes with. He comes with this mutual respect where when we respect Him, He begins to respect us and we begin to exchange things and God begins to create prayers in our heart that He wants to answer. It's like... Solomon's saying, God, if I don't have relationship with you, I cannot rule these people because I understand where wisdom comes from and it doesn't start with me. It only comes from you. And so this is what is being asked. Solomon's basically saying, let's enter into a relationship because the responsibility that I'm in is too great for me to not hear your voice and to have true wisdom that only comes from from you. See, this pleases the Lord. And I think what happens is this results in a prayer like, like David writes in Psalm 27 verse 4, where he says this, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, what David had understand is through his exchange in relationship with God, he understood that, that when he entered into that place, that it became the only place where he wanted to sit. Why? Because it was the only place sitting with God where he got good answers, where he got good advice, where God began to speak to him and deal with his inadequacies and begin to show him how powerful God was, how much God's heart was for him. See, I believe God, David was a man after God's own heart because God showed David how much he loved him, that he could be after something and have a heart after God because he understood God's heart to be after it. I can't be after something that I don't understand. And the only way I can understand something is through an exchange in relationship. And once I understand through relationship, I know then what that relationship, what the possibilities of that relationship is within an exchange. I know what to ask once I know the heart of the one in whom I'm asking and understand their ability and and their power and their capability and all that is worked out through communion and through relationship and through exchange so look what God says to him in verse 11 back to first Kings chapter 3 verse 11 it says and God said to him because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Now watch this. This is where it gets really big. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that no one like you has ever been before you and none like you shall arise after you. 
Whoa, should that not motivate you to make sure that you're praying the right prayer? God not only answers his prayer, but then says your motives are right, your heart is right in this exchange. And so I'm going to make something so particular, so special about you that, that, that no one's going to be like you before and that no one will be like you after. He pulls them into this individual secret uh, place. Now, now watch this. Behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. I just want to read that again. So that none like you has been before and none like you shall rise after. Wow. Now watch this in verse 13. I give you also what you have not asked. He's so impressed and blown away by the prayer that Solomon prays that he goes a step farther and says, now I'm going to answer the things that you didn't ask for because you asked for the first thing, a relationship with me and understanding that I am the foundation of good and the foundation where all wisdom comes from. See, God's so pleased by his prayer that he's beginning to give him what he doesn't even Ask. And to me, it just shows me that how ready God is to answer prayers, how ready God is to do whatever it is that we'll ask if we will have faith enough and, and we'll draw near to him in relationship and begin to ask. Psalm chapter 2 verse 8 says this, the ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. What a promise. It's like God is so willing to give. Uh, we're trying to believe God for revival in our churches or our city. And God is saying, I'll give you nations if you ask me for them. In other words, that nothing is impossible with God, when we come to Him in this wisdom, uh, understanding, and we come to Him in this fear of this, this not being afraid or debilitating, but this respect, this honor, we begin to enter into relationship with Him and see His words as the most valuable and the most greatest consideration of our life. God begins to, to tell us things and trust us with things that are amazing. Now, now, understand that it's not just about asking God for anything and everything, that every prayer must, must meet kind of a litmus test, like, like it needs to be the will of God, and we find out that by studying Scripture and, and who God is, uh, but it also needs to be for the glory of God, right? Like so, so God wants to answer prayers that give Him glory as the most supreme uh, being in the universe. And so, so it needs to go through that, but, but just to see the willingness of God's heart here when Solomon is drawing near and wanting God's wisdom to help lead his people, how, how ready God is to answer that prayer. Do you believe God is ready to answer your prayer? Or do you feel just like warmed over leftovers that God is just not concerned about you? I want to tell you that is a lie from the enemy that God loves you, that he treasures you, that your value is found in what the price was to buy you back. And that was the blood of God's own son. You are valuable and you he wants to honor you and he wants to bring you into his presence and he wants to do great and mighty things through your life 
Now get this, at the end of verse 13, he says, I want to give you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. I want you to understand something about Solomon's riches. Solomon, the Bible says he had 666 talents of gold. That would equate to about 25 tons. He would have close to, some estimate, over $2 trillion of personal wealth. That's not counting lands and vineyards, and he had hammered shields of, of gold. Every cup, every plate that he used in the temple or anywhere, uh, the Bible says, were, were gold. He had a throne of, that was ivory, and, and it was overladen in certain places with pure gold, that every king that was within the vicinity was sending him offerings and tributes and, and was sitting under his feet just to hear uh, his will. Wisdom. The, the Bible says that silver, get this, became as common as a stone. That as a stone is something that you're like, I ah, get this out of here, get it out of my yard or, or whatever. And especially when you look in their context, how much stone there is. He says silver became as common as a stone. Can you imagine that? That silver would become like something that you just wanted to get rid of because the wealth of an empire becomes so great that the value of silver, it was just this common throwaway kind of precious metal. Like that is the kind of riches and honor that God brought him into. Now there's this interesting story that happens in 1 Kings chapter 10 where the queen of Sheba goes and visits King Solomon. She, she's heard all about, uh, through the grapevine, all about his wisdom and his riches, and she is so, um, so enthralled with the testimony that she wants to go see this for herself. Now, now scholars say that, that Queen of Sheba, she was this like Arabian ruler. Uh, she reigned over a region known today as Yemen, uh, and it was a culture uh, in the Arabic culture, it was overladen with riddles, right? Like it was like their wisdom was to think of questions that could not be answered. That they would think about the deep things of life and their form of wisdom was to come to this place to find a question that couldn't be answered and that they would just meditate on these questions. So think about her soul within that kind of framework, right? So here she is faced with all these questions from, from these philosophical type things. And so she's, she's overladen with all these things. Her soul's troubled. But then she gets the news that there is someone wise enough that has never been stumped by a single question. Uh, this prominent woman then who had no answers has to go on a journey to find this king and to go and find out the answers that she wanted to seek. She heard about Solomon. She had heard about his reputation and his incredible wisdom. The scriptures say this, that the queen heard of his fame. 
And as she heard, she must have wondered, who is this man who speaks such wisdom? Who is this king that can answer all the hard questions of life? Her own gods are not speaking. Uh, she can't converse with them, so she's determined, I must get to Solomon at any cost. I've got to settle the burning questions that are in my heart. And so she calls for a caravan to carry her to Jerusalem. The distance would have been about 1,500 miles. And to cover a journey in that period of time, it would have taken her about 75 days. Round trip, that would be 150 days. It would be close to half a year just to reach this king. It would have been through a hot and broiling desert. They would have faced marauding thieves, a barren terrain, no creature comforts. They would have endured cold, bitter desert nights. Uh, but nothing could stop the queen. She's like, I've got to get to Solomon. She would have been accompanied by soldiers, government officials, servants, cooks, and interpreters. Can you imagine the cost of such a journey for such a period of time to have food for everyone, protection, and the whole lot? Uh, camels had to be laden down with food, water, gift, jewels, and spices because she didn't want to show up empty-handed. She wanted them to know her prominence, and so she's loaded down with, with all this great wealth, this great train that had come into to the city, it says in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 2. Imagine the sight. Here comes this entourage going into Jerusalem. And why is she there? She's there to just have a conversation with this king. So I want you to picture this with me. Queen being ushered into Solomon's court. And at this point, she'd probably written down or rehearsed every question she was going to ask. She wasted no time to bring about those hard questions. The Bible says that when she came to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Everything in her heart she began to unfold she laid everything out to him. And you know as well as I do, if you get told something's really awesome and then you show up and you find out, well, that wasn't as good as what they said it was. How much of a disappointment, right? So you can imagine the pressure, right? Because you have this long journey building up. I've got to get there. I've got to get there. I've got these hard questions, right? So most of the time when we're told how awesome something is, we go and say, well... Yeah, it was good, but, or it was all right, but, but it doesn't really meet the expectations. But, but, but I want you to see what happens here, right? Solomon told her all her questions, and there was not anything hid from him, the Bible says, which he told her not. In other words, he told her every single uh, answer to every single question that she had. He graciously answered her with awesome and illuminating truths. He didn't leave one single topic unanswered. Can you picture the queen's face who must have been so troubled to take a journey like this to find out if there was such a man and then to have every question, every weight, everything she had been carrying up to that point to suddenly be lifted off 
of her and her be able to have peace again and joy again based upon the wisdom and communion with this king. Imagine the peace that would have flooded her soul. Lifelong questions put to rest one by one. Afterward, she was given a tour of Solomon's kingdom, and she saw firsthand the order, the beauty, and the prosperity that Solomon's wisdom had brought to the nation. She beheld the house that he built, the Bible said, the meat of his table, the sitting, uh, the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord." The Bible says this, that after she saw all this, in chapter 10, verse 5, it says this, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, what she had saw was so breathtaking, where we get that word breathtaking, what she saw was so awesome, so awe-inspiring, so magnificent, so majestic, that she lost her breath that it was so glorious she couldn't even gasp and get another breath. See, she had soaked it all in. She had found out that it was a true report that she had heard, that there is one so wise that there was one that could put aside every anxiety and every need that I had. There was one wise enough that I could go to and be ministered to. See, the queen offered Solomon all the gifts she had brought in the caravan. In return, he opened his entire storehouse to her. She marveled at his vast riches. Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire the Bible says, and beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. She lost her breath. And see, what I've found is when you find something so magnificent, you don't mind giving all your treasure unto it when you found something more valuable than you deem that you actually have. See, see, the word glory in the Hebrew language is kavod, and what it means is weight. That the glory of God in the Old Testament had this idea of a weight to it. That there would be something invisible yet tangible resting upon. And I believe the glory of God was so strong on Solomon. The glory of God was so strong in that kingdom at that point in time that when the queen of Sheba saw it, it was like the glory of God so rested on her and she was so not used to it that she could yet gasp a breath. I mean, that is incredible. That is just is incredible. It's awesome. Tremendous. I mean, we can't even put words to how great that was, but you know what? As cool as that is, it is nothing compared to what we have in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Where is it? Which is Christ. Verse 3 in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. It's like as cool as Solomon was, as great as that was, as awesome as that moment in time was where the Queen of Sheba can't even take a breath and she saw all that stuff. In comparison to having an encounter with Jesus, the one who is wisdom, the one who is God became flesh, it is this one right here. It is Jesus himself in which all the treasures and wisdom of God are hidden. So in other words, as awesome as that was for Solomon, as awesome as that was for the Queen of Sheba, it is not even scratching the surface of the wisdom that is found within Christ Jesus. The riches that are found within Christ Jesus, the beauty that is found within Christ Jesus. And Jesus even mentions this. He says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. He says that the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. The queen of the south there is the queen of Sheba. He's going back to this moment. Now watch this. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. It's kind of like, wow. Like, I don't even know how to put words to this. It's like, as awesome as that encounter was with Solomon, Jesus is infinitely times greater than Solomon. And, and get this, the Queen of Sheba had to go 1,500 miles because Solomon could only be at one place at one time. She has to go 1,500 miles, 75 days one way, 75 uh, days back. Um, she has to bring treasure and jewels and, and has to show up like she's something and, and then to, to give her some credibility so that she can have an exchange with Solomon. And she's having to do all this and Jesus shows up. Jesus comes to us. We don't have to go seek him out. He shows up. He's with us everywhere at all times. Here he is with his people. Never a moment that Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us. He's always there. He's always around us. And here he is saying, you've got a greater than Solomon. And you've not even entered into a place of faith like this pagan queen did, who has basically just opened her whole heart and opened her whole life to me and brought treasure and you have something greater here and you've been closed off. You've not asked. You've not entered into communication with me. You've not asked me for wisdom. You've not asked me for what I want to do in your life and what I want to do with you and, and the cool and awesome stuff that I've got for you and the ministry I've got for you. You've not even entered into that dialogue and you have something more impressive than Solomon. You have something Tremendous right in front of your face. One greater than Solomon stands right in front of you. And you're not even entering into a place of humbling yourself and asking me for the big things that I can do and that I want to do in your life. See, Jesus said that that queen would rise up in judgment. And I believe she's going to ask the Pharisees, how could you have been so blind? You brought all your hard questions to the king and even ones that were just merely constructed to trick him and he answered every single one and yet, how could you have been so blind? The one that gave Solomon his wisdom, the personification of wisdom, and you've rejected him completely. How could you close your eyes and turn a deaf ear to that, church, to that truth? 
to truth personified found in Jesus. See, and I wonder about my own life and about us. Will the Queen of the South, will the Queen of Sheba stand up and accuse our generation of the same sin? Will she say, I saw and heard the wisdom of a man who lived in my time and his words changed my life. I had but one session with him and he answered everything in my heart. He knew all the issues and concerns of my life and his truth relieved me of all my confusion. But a time came where I had to leave that man's presence. Not so for you with Jesus. You had one who lived in your mess. You had access to his wisdom at all times. Moreover, King Jesus is infinitely greater than Solomon because he's not the king of a little empire. He's the king of the universe. And he has a word to speak to you about everything in your life. He wants that word to bring you relief and to supply you with peace and joy. He continually invites and humbles himself and invites you to his banquet table. You don't have to travel 1,500 miles. He came. He comes to you. He didn't ask for your gifts or jewels. All he wants is your heart and for you to bring him your burdens. He wants to hear your concerns, take on your cares to answer your worries. The only incense and treasure he desires from you is prayer and praise. When I was in Solomon's house, I saw how happy his servants were. They came to the king's table daily and they soaked up his wisdom. With your generation, it's a different story. You are so flippant about your king. You have access to all this marvelous wisdom and relationship. You have access to His righteousness and His holiness, but you ignore Him day after day. How can you be satisfied to have the greatest treasure in the universe in front of you, beckoning and wanting to engage with you, yet you're just flipping about this King? Let me ask you something. When was the last time you had an awe-inspiring encounter with Jesus? When was the last time you were so enthralled with His presence that you experienced a supernatural peace and, and a wisdom-giving moment to where He spoke a word to your heart and it set you free and, and that insecurity or that concern or that burden begins to be lifted by the wisdom and presence and power of God? When was the last time that you could say, nothing I've been taught about Christ prepared me for that experience with Him. He solved all my doubts and He brought me into the place of utter joy. Jesus is telling us in this passage, if you profess to be a follower of mine, you have to ask yourself a certain question. And one day we'll all have to answer this question. If one greater than Solomon is in my midst... What am I doing with that kind of relationship and that kind of wisdom? I believe the queen is telling us that if Solomon was willing to listen to all the questions, all that was in her heart was laid bare and every single one he addressed, I believe that she would be asking us if Solomon was that willing, how much more willing the king of the universe who is willing to die for you and to give himself to you? How could Jesus be any less willing to speak to you and give you his wisdom and guidance than
King Solomon. See, it goes back to where we were at in the first, to ask and to seek and to knock. And so you can't let fear or you can't let trepidation, you can't let anxiety, you can't let this season dictate how you approach the throne of God. And I feel like some have approached the throne of just asking for this just bare minimal kind of just bare minimal things. And I feel like God is saying, this is the season that you need to be asking big. You need to get a revelation of who is in front of you and who you're talking to again. You need to enter into dialogue with me so that I can give you wisdom on how to navigate these times and how to prepare you for the blessing and the season that God wants to bring into the next stage of life. I want to encourage you to ask big, to ask bold, and to keep dreaming. See, what I think God is saying to us is not go big or go home. I think God is saying go big while you're at home. That you need to enter into a place of asking like you've never asked before. Big, bold prayers that go into the throne room of grace that God wants to answer for His glory and your good. Would you pray with me? God, I just pray, Lord, that this message would would strip the veils off of the, of the idea that, that Jesus is less glorious or that He's less glorious than Solomon or that Solomon's riches were greater than Jesus' power and His riches. That, that Solomon's riches don't even compare to the riches that are in Jesus. That, that Solomon's wisdom can't hold a candle to the wisdom of Jesus. And God, that we would see the treasure that we've been given. And like David, we would say, one thing that I ask and one thing that I seek, that I could enter into the the court of God and that I would never have to leave and that I could gaze upon His beauty for all the days of my life. And that God, that in this time of quarantine, God, that the, that, the, that the limits would be ripped off and that we would see not this as debilitating, but God, that we would see this time as empowering, God, because it's, it's bringing us into more fellowship and more frequency with you and with our family. So God, teach us, God, what it is to make a family altar again. A family that gathers hands and that prays and bombards heaven for the treasures, God, that you have in your right and left hands that you're willing to give us, God, if we just ask. So, God, all the treasures and wisdom of God are hidden in Jesus Christ. So, God, let us make him our first consideration of every single day. Let us make him the number one treasure, the thing in which we would seek him the glorious one, the true king who is wise beyond all measure. So God, anoint my friends. Give them the confidence to see how glorious and willing you are to move on their behalf. And so God, we ask big prayers today and from this point on that you want to answer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Be blessed. Moments that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness